Well, thank you for being here this morning. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5. We're going back to our study in the Sermon on the Mount and invite your attention to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. It's been uh, several Sundays, of course, since we've uh, looked at this illustration. It's the sixth illustration, the last one that Jesus is giving, obviously ending in the uh, end of the chapter and climaxing with the great statement, which may be a statement of uh, conclusion to this illustration, and it may be, an il- it, it may be a conclusion to all six illustrations, uh, and probably both. Uh, we want to begin our reading at verse 43, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Verse 46 again. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, what a week it's been of uh, fellowship in you and growth in you and experiencing you. And you've been directing. We believe that uh, things are not out of control, that you've got everything in a divine plan and your will is being worked out. And we yield ourselves to the middle of that will. What do you want to do in our lives today? What do you want to do in our lives this week? Uh, What influence do you want to have What do you want to change? Uh, We've gathered together this morning uh, for the sole fact of investigating, opening ourselves in honesty, seeking, longing, desiring, for we, oh Jesus, want to have your appetite, your heart, want what you want, desire what you desire. So I pray for a moving of the Spirit of God among us as we, the body of Christ, yes, scattered all over the place, not in one location today, but as we have gathered uh, from everywhere, may your presence somehow, which has no problem with space and time, may you move in an unusual way through your word in our hearts to our minds and our inner beings and change us forever. So we give ourselves to you for that purpose. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're constantly coming back to the premise um, because the premise is absolutely necessary. If you, uh, if you uh, miss the premise of the Sermon on the Mount, you will misunderstand, misinterpret. You won't get what he's saying at all. So the premise is absolutely essential. And the premise is in every single 
a phrase, every single illustration, everything he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount in all three chapters literally comes back to this fundamental principle. And in some sense, everything he does in every illustration and every phrase is somehow an explanation of the principle of the premise itself. And the premise is very easy. He starts with the Beatitudes. We are absolutely poor in spirit. That is, we, have, we are totally, absolutely helpless. And in our helplessness, in our absolute helplessness, he wants to come in the amazing resource of his personhood. And he literally wants to merge with us. So our person and his person literally coming together make up this new thing that he's presenting to his disciples, which he himself is, of course, the new thing called the kingdom person. And he is presenting to his disciples, here's what you're getting yourself into. Here's where we're going with this thing. The new covenant, all that's going to be found in the kingdom. The kingdom person is going to be his brokenness, his helplessness, and the amazing resource of the personhood of God himself literally merging with them. So all that I am, all that he is literally coming together make this new kingdom person. What an experience, merger with God. That means then that Christianity is never on just improving. Never Christianity is not embracing a new belief system. Christianity is not just the idea of uh, turning over a new leaf or reformation. Christianity is the essence of merger with the nature of God. Sourced by him as he presents it in this illustration. We become sons of God. And what an amazing thing that is. So that's the premise. Now you realize that as you study through the gospel accounts, uh, the great conflict that Jesus had with, his, with the Pharisees was constantly over this premise. Yeah, it, wasn't, it isn't always stated just that way. But the fundamental principle of Christianity, this, this premise that he's presenting as the kingdom person, is the conflict that Jesus was constantly having they argued about it. He tried constantly to explain it to them. He tried to bring them into it. Uh, it's just a one battle after another as they brought trick questions trying to trap him and he'd bring him right back to this, this premise. So this was the battle and ultimately what got him crucified was of course this premise, this idea that he was presenting even here to his disciples. Now you can understand, probably identify with, how the, how the Pharisees got to where they were by the time you arrive on the day of Jesus. There is an erosion that seems to take place over uh, doing and uh, ceremony and uh, feast days. There's an eroding that takes place in the midst of all of that. For instance, would it have been something to have been there when uh, the death angel passed over. You're a slave in Egypt land. You believe in Jehovah God. He's promised deliverance for you. You have uh, even had Moses on the scene. Nine plagues have already taken place. And now you're down to this last one. And deliverance is going to be yours. You will no longer be a slave in Egypt. And the death angel is going to pass over. And it's all been laid out for you exactly what to do. You wrote it all down, the instructions, how you were to get the lamb, bring him into your home, how he was to become a pet, how you were to name him, let the kids play with him, be sure that he was whole and without blemish. 
and how you, uh, how you brought him into your home and then how you were to uh, slit his throat and how you were to roast him and eat of him with your coat on your back and how you were to uh, wait patiently for the death angel was going to pass over and you were to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and the death angel would see the blood on the doorpost and because of the blood of the lamb you would be delivered and you would look at your firstborn and just praise God because you knew that the reason your firstborn was alive is because of the blood of the lamb. Can you imagine the freshness of that? That you've just put the blood on the doorpost and you're looking out the window and you see the death angel in all, all of its horrifying essence passing over the top and yet your firstborn is still alive. And your tears begin to stream down your face and you turn to your firstborn, give him a hug and know that he's there alive and you have him because of the blood of the lamb. Every year you celebrate that. Every year you get your family together and you rehearse that. You go through all of those actions again. That ceremony. In fact, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they did that. But in the process, there was an erosion. Meaning, see, I used to put the blood on the doorpost and tears would come to my eyes as I would think of the death angel passing by and I'd look at my firstborn and I would just kind of whelm up inside because my firstborn is alive because of the blood of the lamb. But now, hey, I wasn't there. Uh, I taught my kids. My kids taught their kids. Their kids taught their kids. We've done this for hundreds and hundreds of years and there's an erosion that takes place. There is a, it's not, it's not fresh. There's, the presence isn't there. The, the wonder of it somehow is, 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 is gone. It's, 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 yeah, I put the blood on the doorpost. We kill the lamb. But the wonder of it, it's slipped. You can understand that, can't you? See, you're sitting in an upper room and Jesus is talking about dying and of course you're arguing with him and, and finally the Judas thing takes place and, and, and Jesus goes through the Last Supper with you the, and institutes the Lord's Supper and takes this bread and breaks it and hands it and says, this is my body and takes the grape juice and gives it and this is my blood and come on guys, eat this with me. Something wells up within you in the presence of all of that. And, and then when it actually takes place, his death and his resurrection and the early church gathers, they, time after time we gather together and this is his body and we tremble as we break the bread. We tremble as we drink the juice. Tears come to our eyes. Our heart is moved. But hey, that was 2,000 years ago. Now I got a little wafer and a little cup. And let's get on with it. And something, the freshness of it, the, the, the heartbeat of it, it, it. Yeah, I put the blood on the doorpost, but hey. Yeah, we do it every year, yeah. But the freshness, the aliveness, the, the tears don't come to the eye anymore. The, something, something is missing in all of it. That was the battle that Jesus had. That was the crux of the issue. 
He came into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and of course they set him up. They had, a, they had a guy with a withered hand standing right there, and they knew right there at the entranceway, they knew when Jesus came in exactly what he'd do. He'd heal the guy. They knew it. The leaders of Israel, they trapped him. And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. And then they're all over him in criticism. You heal a withered hand on the Sabbath day. You can't do that. That breaks the Sabbath day law. And Jesus says, guys, you've, you've missed it. See, tears, yeah, you put the blood on the doorpost, but tears don't come to your eyes. See, you, you value sheep more than you do men. For if a sheep was in a pit, you'd get him out. But hey, let this guy who's in a pit stay there. See, you don't, you don't have the heart of God. See, the, the, you, go, you do the ceremony, blood on the doorpost, but see, you don't, tears don't come to your eyes. You don't look at your firstborn and say, whoa. See, you, something's eroded in your life. Disciples on that same Sabbath, they were walking along and picking grain and eating it and Oh, the Pharisees are all over them. Why? You can't. They broke the Sabbath day law four times. We could stone you to death for each one of them. <laughs> Jesus looked at him and said, Guys, you, see, you, you've missed it. See, you, you, see, you put the blood on the doorpost. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, you don't, tears don't come to your eyes. And you don't, wow, you don't whelm up inside anymore. Because your firstborn is alive. You, you. Wow, you, you do this stuff. and See, you don't know the heart of God because the heart of God is about mercy, not sacrifice. And the word sacrifice there doesn't mean sacrificing. It means the ceremony. See, you, you put the blood on the doorpost, no problem. You, you go through the ceremony. You've got the feast stage. You've got, you got it all down, but somehow it doesn't whelm up inside of you. Somehow there isn't the, the, the burn in your bones. Somehow it's... Yeah, yeah. Something's eroded. You've, you've missed it. You've missed it. I did a study in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, these leaders of Israel had come all the way from Jerusalem, all the way to Galilee, which again was 80 to 100 miles, 10 day walk. And, and for one purpose, just one purpose, they came for one purpose, <laughs> just to nail Jesus. <laughs> And they hung around and finally got the chance because his disciples, hey, they didn't wash their hands adequately before they ate their dinner. And it wasn't a nutrition thing, you understand, or it wasn't a purification thing. It was, it was, it was a defilement law. It was, it, it was that kind of a deal. It wasn't about germs. It was about defilement. And it was about the blood on the doorpost stuff. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey, because their question was, why do your disciples break the tradition of the, uh, uh, of the elders uh, by not washing their hands? And Jesus said, you break the commandments of God with your, with your traditions. Why? Because, hey, you put the blood on the doorpost, but you don't have the, see, you have the letter of the law, but you don't have the, the spirit, the passion, the burn. See, tears don't come to your eyes anymore. You, you just... You missed it. And he went on giving a whole discourse on that. And he said, L listen to these words. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach as an eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. 
See, your defilement is all wrapped up in not putting the blood on the doorpost. That would defile me. See, you don't understand that it's not this blood on the doorpost. It's not this, it's not this ceremony. It's not this feast thing. It's not this, it, don't you understand? It's this, it's this, it's this heart that literally spills out of the system everything that is. And that this is about what's going on inside of you. And in that Matthew chapter 23, when he came down hard with the woes of the Pharisees, he said stuff like this. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of extortions and self-indulgence. You put the blood on the doorpost. See? You go through the activities. You've got all that down. But hey, tears don't come to your eye anymore. You don't look at your firstborn and say, Oh, thank God. Something's eroded. The presence isn't there anymore. Now, when you come to the Sermon on the Mount, all six illustrations bring you back to that same idea. That's what he's battling with them about. And for sure, it's in this last illustration. For they said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor? Yeah, I'll set up boundaries. You got to set up boundaries. See, I set up the boundaries of who I'm going to love. And if you're within that boundary, then I'll love you. If you're outside that boundary, hey, I'm not going to love you. You got to be, you got to meet the criteria for my love. He goes on to explain what do the tax collectors do. The tax collectors love those who love them. What's That's the boundary. I set that up. You love me, I love you. Hey, you don't love me, hey, I'm not going to love you. You greet me, I greet you. You don't greet me, hey, I'm not going to greet you. I set up the boundary. So love is within my boundary. Jesus says, you see, you're, you do the doorpost thing. <laughs> you got that down, see. Love within the boundary. Put butt on the doorpost, but... You don't have the heart of the Father. You don't, you, don't, you don't feel like the Father feels. You don't have the appetite of the Father. You don't want what the Father wants. What's the Father do? Well, what about your enemy? That's so interesting because the enemy is the furthest one out. In other words, if you're setting up boundaries, here's my family, here's those who love me, here's my friends. What's the one that's furthest out? In fact, when you come to him... There's nothing beyond him. Well, that would be my enemy. Because there's nobody beyond that. So if I love my enemy, <laughs> that would mean I would love everybody. <laughs> he said, don't you know that's the heart of God? Don't you know that's, that's the, yeah, well, you put the, I put the blood on the doorpost now. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. But you're not sons, see? You're not sons. You're not merged. See, you don't have the heart of the Father. You don't, you don't have the passion, the appetite of God. You don't, see, you're not one with his nature. You don't, you're not, you're an, off, you're not an offspring. You're not being birthed by him. See, you, what you put the blood on the doorpost. But you've missed it. It's interesting when you come to verse 46, uh, verse 40, uh, yes, verse 46 and 47. The words he uses. Listen to this again. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. 
And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Now, you know what he's doing there. He's reaching out into society, into the mind of the leadership of Israel. And he's saying, who's the worst person you can think of? Well, tax collector. He would be the, he's the one who's cheated. He's the one who's undermined He's the one who's, uh, who's rejected Jews, the Jewish idea, a Jewish nation. He's the one who's taking sides against his people. He's the one who's in league with Rome over against. And he's cheating. He's lying. He's, he's, he's just the worst of the worst. So here is the betrayer. Here is the worst of the worst. What does the worst of the worst do? Well, he loves those who love him. Well, that's what you do. And you put blood on doorpost. And you, that's what, what, so what's in him, the tax collector, is what's in you as well. Well, I put blood on the doorpost, I know. <laughs> but when it comes down to nature, when it comes down to what produces you, and it's interesting, in the passage, he does this, this word do. Do you see it? And of course, that just rings bells for us. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors. Do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors. Do the same. And of course, you've already guessed it if you've been around here long, what the Greek word is for do there. Poieo. Four times. <laughs> and if you don't know, I need to explain it to you, I realize. But there's two basic concepts given by two basic Greek words in the New Testament that can be translated do. Do, did, or done. And of course, one is poieo, which is the word here, and one is proso. And both of them can legitimately be translated do, but they're not the same. Because the word poieo is tied into nature stuff. And again, it's the word that's dominantly used for this fruit thing. In other words, when a tree is talked about as bearing fruit, the word for bear is do, which is poieo. Because trees don't do fruit, they bear fruit, which is a process of nature. It's due to what's within them. Therefore, it's bear, which is poieo. So he uses that word here. So a tax collector loves those who love him. Why? Because it's the nature of his tree. See, he can't help himself. It's the way he is. It's his nature. It's the way he thinks. It's the way his appetite. It's, the, it's what he wants. It's the, it's the makeup of his personality. That's the way he is. Well, how are you? Well, you love those who love you. Well, then you're, you have his nature. You're, you're being produced by the same kind of nature, he says, that the, that the tax collector has. But I put blood on the doorpost. I know. But tears don't come to your eyes anymore. You don't look at your firstborn and say, oh, praise God. I know why he's here. The blood of the lamb. See, something inside of you, something is missing. Something is lacking. Something, there isn't, there, there's, it's, it's gone. What, what happened, he said, to you, the leaders of Israel? What took place in your life? What's, 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 taken, what's taken place in you? This is a strong concept. Jason gave me a, a, a picture of the head of Christ. 
that he drew. Uh, Jason is one of our guys, and an artist, and he's drawn this picture of the head of Christ. And it, uh, the face of Jesus and the whole surroundings the, depicts Jesus under the weight of headed for the cross. It's, uh, it's, 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 in some ways it's an awful picture, but in some ways I look at it three or four times every day because it reminds me of Jesus under the weight of taking on the sin of a world. And as he takes on the sin of a world, this, his whole countenance, his whole, he's giving expression to the heart and nature of God, of how God feels about the sin of a world. Uh, he painted that great, oh, by the way, I'm a painter, Barnes. <laughs> see, I can't, I couldn't, I'd like to, but I, see, it's not in me. I just don't have that in me to paint a picture like that. But I can paint barns. See, Prosso is painting barns. Poieo is painting the image of the Father. See, Prosso is putting the blood on the doorpost. But Poieo is, oh, tears are in my eyes as I do it. There's this. There is, oh, there's my firstborn man. The reason he's here is the blood of the lamb. See, that's the poieto thing. That's the, that's the appetite thing. And Jesus is so strong on that in this passage because he begins uh, in verse 45, he leads into this with the idea of sons of your father. See, this is about sonship. This is about the nature that produces you. This is about the appetite of God. This is about this is about having his DNA, feeling like he feels. Well, I put the blood on the doorpost. I know. I know you do. But this is not about just doing. Uh, poieo, uh, in this concept, as, as it's presented here in this context, uh, the concept of poieo literally brings up and answers uh, lots of questions for me. And I wanted to, uh, for the bulk of this message, uh, give you uh, those questions that are presented and, and found in the context of what Jesus is saying here. Uh, one question that is raised by the idea, the concept of poieto, is why? And Jesus is raising that in the passage. Uh, here's the tax collectors who love those that love uh, them and you do the same thing. Well, why do you do that? Why do you love like the tax collectors love? Why? Well, because what their nature is, is your nature. So your natures are the same. So what produces them, produces you. So what defines them, defines you. What they want is what you want. So you're in nature. No, you put blood on the doorpost. So you do things they don't do. But in nature, you are the same. So the issue that Jesus is raising is not, it's not about what you do, but why do you do what you do? Well, I put the blood on the doorpost. Well... Why? Well, we've always done that. I know. My dad taught me to do that. Good. But why do you do it? 
See, what's inside of you that makes you want to do that? What, what, what drives you to... What? Because I don't see any tears in your eyes. And I don't see you looking at your firstborn and saying, Oh, praise God, he's alive. Blood of the Lamb. Something's happened. And it brings up the whole issue of why. Now, we've discussed this thoroughly around here in the definition of sin. And, of course, we're going to continue to discuss it and just keep going over it and over it and over it because somehow it seems like that is a muddled area in relationship to uh, the evangelical church. And the reason I say that is because all of my ministerial involvement, all of, the, all, of, all of the years of ministry I've been involved in, everywhere I go, that is, that is always a discussion. If you get into discussions, that's going to come up. And there will be debates, and some people will, and some people, and there will be arguments over this idea of living above sin. Well, that's impossible. I know. I know. That's radical. You're right. But see, everything Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is radical. I mean, this thing is so off the wall, isn't it? I mean, don't you look at it and say, who would ever have the nerve to stand up before a crowd and say that? I mean, the challenge that Jesus is making about, hey, the old said don't murder. I say don't be angry. What? Nobody can do that. Everybody has bad days. We all get upset. My, that's impossible. And as you walk through these illustrations, see, he's, he's, he's driving at this. See, everybody can put blood on the doorpost. But that isn't the issue. The issue is why do you do that? What's inside of you? What, what do you do it just because you're proso, the duty thing? Are you poetoing out of the very nature of God himself that has done something within you? And do tears come to your eyes? See, that's the heart of what we call sin, what the Bible calls sin. And we have defined sin, or at least stated strongly, that sin cannot be defined by its activity, by the activity of the deed. And that's such a key concept. I'd like to drive that into your thinking. You can never define a sin by the activity of the deed. In other words, it isn't the action, physical action of the deed that makes a thing a sin. Well, what makes a thing a sin? Well, it's the why do you do it? Where does it come from? What motivates it? What causes it? Well, if that's true, then anything could be a sin. I know, which is terrible, isn't it? And we have used the illustration of, uh, hey, I tell God I'm going to spend the rest of my life uh, preaching for him. But he says, wait a minute, that isn't my will for your life. My will for your life is I want you to clean out toilets. And I say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach. Then preaching would be a sin. Well, preaching, the activity of preaching is not a sin. I got that. Bl putting the blood on the door, not a sin. I know. I know. You're right. You're dead right on that. But see, sin is not contained within just the action of the deed. Sin is contained within, why do you do what you do? So your best deed on your best day could be the worst thing you've ever done. Because you did it for the wrong reason. And 
Jesus is so strong on that. In fact, in this last illustration, he's literally bringing us to, to the, the most basic fundamental illustration of the Father. Isn't it interesting? When he came to describe the Father's nature, he didn't use miracles. He didn't use redemption on a cross. He didn't use, oh, he died for us while we were in our sins. Christ died for us. See, he didn't use any of that stuff. When he wanted to express the most fundamental driving passion of the nature of the Father. He talks about sun and rain. Yeah. Verse 45. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. Sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What's interested in the language of that? Look at that. You can even see it in the English. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And of course, the word that's translated, the Greek word that's translated makes, rise, uh, has a prefix, which is ana, which is up, and a root word, which is tello, which is the idea to set out as a goal. In other words, there's a causative element in this. That the father didn't just, hey, Mother Nature, put it Mother Nature in place and let it happen. So the son just automatically, because it's just a nature thing, the laws of nature take over. So the son, no, his indication is that the father, Father literally causes, actively engages in the rising and setting of the sun. Why? Because I just want everybody to have the sun. He causes it to rain. Why? I just want everybody to have rain. And that there's something about the nature of the Father that is involved, the, the why. Of the, of the rising of the sun and the sun shining and the rain falling is all wrapped up in the nature of the Father. The why is, is found in this is the Father's burning desire. He delights in this. He just loves to have everybody have the sun. That's the indication there. So it's not, yeah, I get into a routine, put the, uh, put the blood on the doorpost. <laughs> Yeah, but see, this is about what's inside of you that literally, literally, literally burns within you. Uh, it was on the Sabbath day. Uh, they had uh, Jesus and the leaders of Israel had a conflict, as you know. And so the leaders of Israel finally got fed up with it, went off to a room, uh, got around a conference table and plotted murder. See, you can plot murder on the Sabbath day, but you can't, heal a withered hand. Anyhow, so they plotted murder. And uh, finally when they got that all settled what they were going to try to do they came out of there and got into the midst of a phenomenal crowd because Jesus had not left. The crowds just got bigger and bigger and bigger and he had healed a withered hand. Now he was just doing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I'm talking hundreds of miracles. It was phenomenal. And when the Pharisees finally got in the mix of this uh, Jesus was casting out a demon. So he was casting this demon out of this guy. And it wasn't that miracle particularly. But it was like accumulation of all of these miracles. That finally it hit the crowd. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is. Maybe he's the one. So it was. Everyone was just started talking that. And the Pharisees were all bent out of shape. Because they just came out of a room trying to. Plotting how they were going to kill him. So. 
as, as they got in the middle of this, and this whole crowd is saying, oh, Jesus may be the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the one we're looking for. They begin to spread the word. They begin to yell and scream and say, no, 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 no. The way he does what he does is he's in league with Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, you notice in the passage there that no one is upset about the miracles. Are the miracles good? Yes. Is it good to cast out a demon? Yes. Is it good to heal a withered hand? Yes. See, there's no question about the goodness of the miracles. The issue is all wrapped up in this why thing. <laughs> why? why? Why do you? And Jesus looks at him and says, guys, can you imagine this? The devil fills an individual and says, the destiny of, my, uh, of this man's life is going to be, I'm going to go into the world and throw out all the demonic forces I've already set up. <laughs> what? The devil isn't going to do that. That would be a kingdom divided against itself. And it's interesting, in that passage, he enters into this tree thing. A whole discourse. You want to know about trees? The whole discourse on trees. Listen to this. He says, hey guys, either make the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Where does the fruit come from? This poieo thing. The nature of the tree produces the fruit. So if the fruit is good, the nature has to be good. If the fruit is bad, the nature has to be bad. Now guys, you're trying to mix it. See, you're coming along and saying, oh, casting a demon out, that's a good thing. But you do it because you're bad. <laughs> no. He said, you can't mix that thing like that. What you are inside is what comes out. So when you see what comes out, you know what's inside. And you can't mix it. You cannot mix it. And he went on to say, listen to this. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks a good man out of the good treasure brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things so this whole idea of poieo brings up not what you do I put the blood on the doorpost that's good but not what you do but why do you do what you do which bespeaks, dear friends, that there must be a total, absolute honesty and openness in my life if I'm going to deal with this. Otherwise, I'll just cover my life with putting blood on the doorpost and say, hey, everything's okay. Unless I am totally, absolutely honest and come to grips with, oh, Jesus I want to be what you are. I want to, I want to, I want your appetite. I want to think like you think. I want to feel like you feel. I want to see like you see. Please, Jesus, please. I want to be a son with your DNA. So this poieo idea as he presents it in our passage literally brings up the idea of why. Why do you do what you do? Another question it brings up is the question, what? 
And that question is, well, what, what can I do about it? So if why I do what I do is the issue, and I find out what I really am inside, which is the why I do what I do, what can I do about it? And Poieo says, you can't do anything about it. <laughs> why? Because you are absolutely helpless. Absolutely helpless. So the tax collector, which he brings up again in the middle of all of this, the tax collector and the Pharisee, they, they can't help themselves. I got that. A tax collector does what? He loves those who love him. Why? It's the way he is. What can he do about it? Absolutely nothing. The Pharisee, you put the blood on the doorpost. I got that. But hey, you love those who love you. Why do you do that? You can't help yourself. What can you do about it? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I can't change myself. I am incapable of change. Now, I can put blood on the doorpost. See, I can look at you and smile. But you don't know what I'm thinking, do you? <laughs> See, I, I can put blood on the doorpost, but I can't. I can't change this. See, I cannot. See, I, I can wave to you as I go down the road. But when I read your newspaper in the blitch, uh, uh, obituary section, I'm glad. See, I can't change that. See, I, I, I can do the blood on the doorpost stuff. But the nature thing. I am in. And we're not talking. Oh, you got to get this. We're not talking about imitating. See, don't think we are proposing the idea of well I'll just imitate that's back to blood on the doorpost stuff see I can imitate and, and we did that we, we tried to do that with the WWJD stuff what would Jesus do I want to imitate the Jesus who was this is not that this is participating with the Jesus who is this is the nature of Jesus and my nature literally coming together in a fusion and in a oneness in a merger until I'm different how did that take place and I've quoted this to you before, but it's just so phenomenal for me that C.S. Lewis said, this, this encounter, this merger, this, this birthing thing, this becoming sons of God is so radical, it, could be, it would be compared to a stone statue becoming a living man. That's how radical this is. That God and man literally inter, integrate into each other and something so phenomenal takes out of that that I was dead in trespasses and sin. Now I'm alive. Hey, I was damned. Now I'm saved. My, my nature has changed and who I was. See, that's not imitate. That's become sons. Sons of God. See, that's his premise. That's his premise. That I am, I am absolutely helpless and unless he comes and does something in me, I, my nature will stay the same. Why, why do you do what you do? Well, it's because of who I am inside my nature. Well, what can I do about it? Absolutely nothing. Poyeo says you can do absolutely nothing about it. Let me give you a third question, which I think is interesting. And again, Poyeo deals with this. It's the idea of when. Okay, why 
Why do I do what I do? Well, it's because of my nature. Well, what can I do about my nature? Absolutely nothing. Well, when should this take place? And of course, you would know that the biblical approach to that is now. <laughs> now. Now, you understand, the blood on the doorpost, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I, hey, I can, I can put the blood on the doorpost. Yeah. And that approach would be when, when hey, I, I would make this, this change in my life, I would make it a goal. Hey, I'm working on it. And it shows up in our language. Well, hey, I'm working on it. Hey, I'm better than I was. Yes, sir. Yeah, much better this year than I was last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm improving. But see, what he's proposing is not improvement. It's conversion. See, what he's, in, what, what he's proposing is not an adjustment. He's proposing a transformation of the life of God and the life of man coming together in this merger which absolutely turns everything upside down. Everything is on its head. Everything is changed. Everything is radically revolutionized. And that's the language uh, that is used in verse 46 and 47. Uh, he, he's, he, he, he's giving us poieo language which will not allow. For instance, there's no re way to read verse 46 and 47 and insert phrases like, well, I just had a bad day. Uh, do not even the tax collectors do the same for they love those who love, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Well, I've just, I've just, I just had a bad day. Or the, the phrase, uh, you, you pushed me too far. You just pushed me too far. Uh, see, that language does not fit into 46 and 47. And especially, and oh, this is going to be fun, just to warn you, for the next few Sundays, we're going to be dealing with verse 48. I think it'll take about three or four Sundays to, to cover it. But verse 48 is such an awful verse. I mean, therefore, you shall be perfect. What? You've got to be kidding me. And then when he throws in the statement, the example of the standard for the perfection is your father. <laughs> See, if it had been you, I'd have said, whoo, I can handle that. Because <laughs> I know you. But whoa, him, God, meet up to that. Oh, come on, come on. See, this is, that, that is so... Do you realize how radical that is? And it all hangs on this poieo wordage. Uh, and it's interesting in verse 48, just to give you a little feel for it. Therefore you shall be. The word shall be is a translation of the Greek word ami, which is a state of being. It's the I am that I am thing. And it's a state of of being. It's a futuristic tense. It's in the future tense and it's an imperative which means it should be translated not shall be as if maybe sometime in the future but it's uh, it, sh it should be translated must be. In other words therefore you must be. It's absolutely required and we got that folks. We got that from verse 20 in chapter 5. Where he says, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't be in the kingdom. 
In other words, it isn't, well, I'm improving and my righteousness is getting better. It isn't that. It's if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness, you don't even make entrance. Now, we all believe in maturing. We all believe in spiritual growth. Hey, we're not knocking that or demeaning that at all. We're simply saying there is a state of existence whereby I am birthed as a son and I have the very nature of God. And that nature makes me that son. It's interesting, Galatians chapter 5, he gives this whole, Paul ends up in this, this contrast of works of the flesh and fruit, poieto, of the spirit. The fruit, the bearing, the nature bearing the fruit of the spirit which is the, 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 the nature of the Spirit of God bears its fruit. So he says, why? Poieto, why? Why do you do what you do? <laughs> it's not about what you do. I put the blood on the doorpost. But why do you do what you do? Well, it's my nature. That's why I do it. Well, what can I do about that nature? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Because I'm incapable. I'm absolutely helpless. He must come and do something. Well, when should I let him do this? Well, you must live in this state of existence, which means it must take place now. Let me give you one last one. Where? Where should this take place in my life? Well, I've got my recreational life. I've got my business life. And then I've got my religious life. So in my religious life, God should be dominant. <laughs> Which you know is not what he's saying. He's saying, where should it take place? What arena, what area in my life should this nature flow? Where should the very nature of God literally flow through me and exert itself, exhibit itself in the fruit of my life? It is in all, there are no, even in relationship with my enemy he bespeaks it I've told you before there in these six illustrations in going through these six illustrations and trust me I've spent months on them I have not found I tried desperately to find one single area in my life that wasn't that wasn't covered in one of these illustrations see if I could find one thing in my life that wasn't affected or covered or adjusted or moved by this one of the, and involved in one of these illustrations then I could do what I wanted to do in that area <laughs> but I couldn't find one every single area of my life literally it's like it's like being a son he says come on what area of my life is not affected by the fathering of my father there is none there, there is none. And again, it's so interesting that when he, when, he, when he illustrates this in the Father, he doesn't talk about the miracles of the Father. He doesn't talk about the redemption of the Father. He doesn't talk about the crucifixion of the Father. He talks about, yeah, the daily sunrise and the rain. And he goes to the most basic, basic activities that the Father's nature is so permeates everything about the father it isn't just in it isn't just in in, in in redemption that he's interested in 
It's, all, it's in everything. He's interested. His nature, he, this is who he is. And it just, it determines every expression of his being. Jesus, I got to get on my face. I got to say, wow. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I feel that way? When that is the opposite of the way you feel, the opposite of the way, are you trying to say to me, Manly, would you be honest? Would you be open? Would you just, would you just radically slit yourself wide open and let me, would you, would you abandon yourself? Would you, in totality, would you, not just put blood on doorpost. But are you calling me to such an abandoned involvement coming under the influence of a total mastery by until your nature and all that you are in your nature literally spills into me and all that I am and every arena of my life literally takes on the tone oh God give me this give me this a merger with you to the depth a fusion of your life and my life until you display yourself and I begin to poieto artistically paint the image of your face in my world It'll be a miracle if it happens. It won't be because I put blood on a doorpost, maintain the ceremony. It'll be because you came in the wonder of yourself. Heads are bowed. Would you pray that prayer with me? Would you open your heart from the best of us to the worst of us? Could I in openness and honesty with no cover up allow him to do and to be in my life Jesus I'm sorry I've just spent a lot of time putting the blood on the doorpost but no tears came to my eyes And when I looked at the firstborn, I didn't feel forgive me, God. Bring a freshness of your presence and a renewing of your heart and mind. And not just on a Sunday morning, but The sun shining and the rain falling and the most practical aspects of my life. May you be seen. Thank you for this group that is gathered as we've peered into your word. May your word peer into us and may we be forever changed.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today. We'll be back Wednesday night, 6.30 for Bible study. So if you can join us, and uh, thank you for those who have, uh, who have continued to be faithful in giving uh, through these days. So God bless you. Have a great week.